Hi guys, welcome to the Desi Crime Podcast. I'm your host Aryan, and I'm Ishwarya. We are finally back to our regular uploading schedule, so tune into the Desi Crime Podcast every Tuesday and Friday for crazy Desi episodes. Like with all our episodes, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts and follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Desi Crime for regular updates. I just felt like chopping her up and eating her, so I went to get a knife. Then I cut a piece of her arm and her left breast, which I cooked in the kitchen. Then I ate her breast. These are the words of a man who changed the meaning of a psychopath for most Indians. This is the Nithari case. Although I really want to get into this case right off the bat, it'd be unfair if I don't thank our listeners for all their support. You helped us get ranked number two in the true crime category in India. This wouldn't have been possible without your support, suggestions, and compliments. Also, we're sorry for the delay in uploading. After two long and grueling flights from India to the US during COVID, we're finally back together and back to our uploading schedule. Now, with all of that aside, Arjan, take us right into this case. So, the day is twentieth of June in the year two thousand five. As we record this podcast, it's been almost fifteen years since that day, a day Jabbu Lal will never forget. Jabbu Lal is a dhobi or washerman, and like any other washerman in India, barely makes enough to feed his children. While his may be a poor household, it is a happy, bustling family. They live in a small village in the city of Noida which is pretty close to Delhi. This village is called Nithari. One of his daughter is Jyoti who is 10 years old. It's almost 9 in the morning and Jyoti's mother asks her 10 year old daughter to take a sari for stitching to the tailor. Jyoti jumps at this opportunity. Any excuse to leave the house and have fun outside works for her. She took the sari and headed out to sector 31 from her house in Nithari. Now, Sector Thirty One is a posh, gated colony, whereas in contrast, Nithari is this poor village ridden with slums, garbage dumps, open sewers. Despite being adjacent to each other, these two areas couldn't be more different. Sector Thirty One had three-story villas with BMWs in the garage, while Nithari had houses with tin roofs and second-hand bicycles parked inside. These were two different worlds. On her way to the tailor who had his shop in sector 31 she found a banana lying around she picked it up and ran back to her house to give it to her sister bharti excitedly jyoti said look what i found you can eat half of this banana and i will save the other half for ma both laughed as jyoti went out to sector 31 again bharti did not know that this was the last time she'll be seeing her younger sister It is 9:30 and Jabbu Lal and his wife start to worry. 
By 10 a.m., their worry grows into fear. Recently, there have been rumors that girls have been going missing near Nithari. Jabulal has already heard these rumors, so immediately takes his bicycle, calls some friends, and sets out on a search for his 10-year-old daughter. Soon to follow is Jyoti's mother, Nina Lal, who is restless and frantic at this point. She leaves her washing stall unattended and runs towards Sector 31 in the hot June sun. She is sweating by the time she reaches the tailor, but still optimistic. She asks the tailor whether she has seen her daughter. The tailor says that, yes, I have seen your daughter. But my machine isn't working, so she went down the road. This fires up alarm bells in Nina Lal's head. She, too, has heard the rumours of missing girls. In fact, at this point, everyone in Itari has heard of these rumours. Yet Nina doesn't give up. She traces Jyoti's path and asks a panwala whether he had seen Jyoti. He says no, he hasn't. She then goes further and asks a fruit vendor who fails to identify Jyoti either. At this point, you can imagine what Nina is going through. Nithari is not a big place. And the fact that nobody seems to have seen a 10-year-old girl in broad daylight, worsened by the ongoing rumours, makes Nina's plight one of frenzy. Finally, she came to a house where a man was standing on the gate. This house was house number D5 in Sector 31. And it was evidently a big, posh, multi-storey house. Standing at the gate was its owner, Muninder Singh Pandey. Nina asks him whether he had seen a little girl of 10 walk past, and he outright denies. She insists that he had been standing at the gate for a while now and he must have seen her since the tailor said Jyoti walked towards the house. But he denies again. Right behind Pandher, behind the gate, was another man, shorter in stature. This man was Muninder Singh Pandher's full-time domestic help. His name was Surendra Kohli. Both of them denied any knowledge of seeing this little girl. By noon, Jabbu Lal and Nina Lal knew that their daughter is missing. Jyoti was nowhere to be seen. Jyoti's parents scrambled for months to get the police to pay attention, to file missing persons report. But the police did not. Not for six whole months. Every time this poor couple went to the station begging the cops to find their 10-year-old girl, they were met with excuses. She must have run away. She'll return. And the list doesn't end. But Jyoti's disappearance wasn't the last one. Missing cases kept racking up in the few months after Jyoti's disappearance. The complaints were majorly of young girls who went missing. The cops tried their best to brush these away as runaways or lies. You need to understand the background of these missing girls to understand the police callousness and sheer disregard. These girls belonged to poor immigrant families from Bihar and West Bengal. The police saw these cases as busy work, bearing no fruit and a lot of effort. Instead, they chose to focus on high-profile cases. The voice of these labour-class families was squashed by the cops. But that didn't stop children from going missing. By December 2005, 15 missing children were reported to the police. Although no official complaint was filed till much later, word started spreading around all over Noida. Noida, as a city, is the hub of media houses, since it's minutes away from the national capital. Thus, by this point, media pressure started mounting, although very little. 
even by media standards, poor children disappearing isn't the most clickbaity news, but it was enough to compel the Noida police to take some action. So the police sent cops to question people in Nitari and Sector 31. They also increased police activity in Nitari, near the places where the girls reportedly went missing. The police soon realized something that might help them solve this case. All the girls went missing within a 100-meter stretch. All of them were last seen in this 100-meter stretch. Even after cops being there, two more girls went missing in the early 2006 in that 100-meter stretch. Wait, so you mean cops were actively surveying this area constantly because of these missing people and despite that, girls kept going missing? Um, actively might be too generous a word to attribute to the Noida police, although on paper, cops were supposed to be there. After the Right to Information Act, they found out that that duty was not being done as it was supposed to. Wow. This area, this 100-meter stretch, was now codenamed Black Hole by the cops because it seemed to suck in children who were never to be found again. So... Haran, what did the cops think was happening here? How were these girls going missing? Like, I know that there are a lot of drug scandals. I know there are prostitution scandals. Did they have absolutely any idea about what was happening other than just they're all runaways? So by this time, the cops still haven't taken this as seriously as they should. It is more of a performance to hush the media. I mean, imagine this. The cops still haven't filed formal reports or first incident reports for the missing. However, the one thing that the cops do do is investigate the obvious angle that you mentioned of gangs kidnapping these girls or for begging and prostitution. If you've seen Slumdog Millionaire, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And this theory stands out. Young girls are vulnerable to both begging and prostitution. And Netari being a slum area makes for an easy target. So the police decides to raid all brothels and all the red light districts within a 500-kilometer radius. These raids happen one after the other. The police rescued 21 girls, but none of them were the ones missing from Nithari. But during the course of these half-hearted investigations, something was discovered that baffled both the cops and the people of Nithari. Adjoined to the 100-meter stretch, the black hole, was a sewer which had been clogged for years. It was so poorly managed that it had now solidified into something like a pavement where people played cricket and all sorts of sports. Like I said, this is a poor area and not well kept by authorities. A group of boys from Natari were playing cricket in the sewer turned pavement one day when one of the boys hit the ball afar. The boys went looking for a cricket ball, but found something they wished they hadn't. They stumbled across a polythene bag, which had the remains of what looked like a person's hand. When I played cricket and we hit the ball in the bushes, we usually just found another ball in our search. Imagine how scared these children would be. Immediately, the village people reported their findings to the police. And guess what they did, Ashwarya? They dismissed that, that thing that looked like the remains of a hand as a rat carcass and threw it away. They threw it. The police was trying their hardest to not overcomplicate this case, hoping that this would remain a gang-related kidnapping. 
for the remains of a hand in a polythene bag near where all kids went missing was evidence that something way more sinister was happening. This is why they got rid of the evidence. Little did they know that Nithari is soon going to be international headlines. Almost a year has gone by since Shyoti went missing. The police haven't found any reliable leads. But that didn't stop children from disappearing off the streets of Nithari. In this period, Rimpa Haldar, aged 14, Choti Kavita, aged 5, Rachna Lal, aged 9, to name a few, have already gone missing. Although the police didn't investigate much, among the residents of Nithari, suspicion grew towards the inhabitants of house number D5. Muninder Singh Pandey, aged 52, and Surendra Kohli, aged 36 at the time, lived there. Wait, so you're telling me this is the same house whose residents Jyoti's mom had questioned the morning that she went missing on this road? Yes, it's the same house she questioned and moreover this house lies in the black hole. D5 lay in that 100 meter stretch which was, you know, codenamed the black hole. Muninder as I said before was the owner of this house. He's a rich businessman who actually lives in Chandigarh. Chandigarh is a city that is 4 hours away, but Muninder still frequented his house in sector 31 Noida, house number D5. Surendra Kohli is his domestic help who hails from the state of Uttarakhand. He came to Noida in the hope of a better life as most migrants do, but left his wife and two children back home. Muninder also had a family, a wife and a son. but it was known that his marital life was unstable rumors are that pander is an alcoholic and frequently parties with younger girls and more importantly he had a house within the 100 meter black hole house number d5 and that is the cause of suspicion but again this is all speculation surendra kohli on the other hand was diametrically opposite He never consumed alcohol and is a rather docile looking person. All of these rumors regarding Pandey were mere speculation since there was no hard evidence to corroborate anything until May 7th, 2006. Payal is a 22-year-old woman who lives with her father, Nandlal, in Nithari. Nandlal is a shop vendor who earns a modest income or so it appears from the one bedroom house he lives in. On May 7th, 2006, Payal is called to work at D5 for Muninder Singh Pandey. She tells her dad, "I'm going to Pandey's. He's called me for a job." This wasn't out of the ordinary. Payal worked there often, and Nandlal knew who she was working for. Nandlal recounts that Payal left the house at 4 in the evening, taking a rickshaw towards Sector 31. "I have been to this place." In fact, I have lived very close to Nithari. A rickshaw ride in a North Indian summer in the bustling summer is quite an experience. For our listeners' imagination, imagine crossing a road with a dog, a pig, and a cow, and a hundred other people, all of whom are sweating as much as you. That's what it's like. Few hours pass by, and Payal is supposed to be back by now. So just to check on her, Nandlal calls her. but her phone appears to be switched off something doesn't feel right to nandlal and he calls relentlessly only to hear 
जिस नंबर से आप संपर्क करना चाहते हैं वह अभी स्विच ऑफ है कृपया कुछ समय पश्चात प्रयास करें नंबर यू आर कॉलिंग इज नंदलाल नोज समथिंग इज रॉन्ग वेरी रॉन्ग and by the time reports of missing girls aren't just rumors anymore it is a fact that the residents of nithari fear and live with the black hole was to be stayed away from all children were told that but pile was no child she was a 22 year old woman who used to frequent that part of town and often visited d5 for work it was a grueling night for nanlal who waited the whole day and night hoping that his daughter would return but this was nithari and daughters didn't seem to return the first thing nanlal did the next day was go to d5 and confront pandher and he asked where is my daughter where is pail pandher's response to this question immediately aroused suspicion he says i don't know any pail nanlal knew that was a lie pail had worked there before he knew something was up lal questioned Pandey denied and given the social class of Nanlal he was in no position to interrogate a rich businessman from Chandigarh his next option was well the police he feared going to them naturally he feared being ridiculed and dismissed that is exactly what happened immediately the police tells him to court and court get lost or bhagja but Nanlal isn't one to quit He prods and probes the authorities for months. He seeks lawyer and other avenues. The only difference was unlike the parents of other victims, he had the financial resources to undertake these paths to question authority. Pile disappeared in May. The police filed an official complaint in October. That is 5 months after she disappeared. Oh and the police didn't do this voluntarily. Nanlal got the chief judicial magistrate to order the police to do so. After months of begging, urging and fighting, this was the first FIR filed in this case. An FIR filed after 20 kids had gone missing. I just want to stop you here. I am appalled by the fact that they waited 5 months when children or women disappear even one day's delay. could mean the difference between somebody's life and death but 5 months for so many kids this case was botched completely by the cops between may and october more girls went missing what changed was the age of the victims not the location of the crime in all the changing variables the black hole the 100 meter stretch seemed fixed one of them was pinky sarkar who went missing in August of 2006 Pinky was a 20 year old woman from a Bengali migrant family Although Pinky wasn't the only girl that went missing in this period we chose her story because we know Pinky personally This has made this case so much more eerie and gutting for us to do Ashwara's best friend knew her since Pinky's mother Bandana Sarkar worked at their house Not only that Bandna used to frequently bring her daughter Pinky who Ashwarya's friend describes to have been a very playful and cheerful person. Pinky's story is one of the most important as investigation into her case revealed police corruption, police brutality 
and even police murder, which is why it is important I mention it here before proceeding. Do you know, Ashwara, when Pinky's parents, Bandna and Jatin Sarkar, went to the police, what was their response? The Nithari Chauki was in 2006 headed by Sub-Inspector Simarjeet Kaur. When Bandana showed her daughter's photo to Inspector Kaur, the officer said, Your daughter is good-looking. She must have run away with someone. Her parents felt humiliated and infuriated. They told Kaur and others at the Chauki that Pinky has a four-month-old son and she got married at 18. How can they say that about her lost daughter? And the cops mocked them. They said, and I quote, Tum Bengali logo mein ye sab chalta hai. Humne sab dekha hai. Chalo bhago se. Such cases are common among you Bengalis. We have seen it all. Get lost. At every step, police resisted filing cases. They disbelieved parents of missing children, ridiculed them, mocked them, and dismissed them. They did everything to not investigate a crime which continued with cruel regularity on their watch. But once that first FIR was filed by Nandlal, five months after Payal went missing, two years, two whole years after the first girl went missing, the police started taking action. And I mean deliberate and diligent action. In November 2006, Pyle's case appeared on Officer Vinod Pandey's desk. Officer Pandey is the head of surveillance in Noida at this point, and a rather good one at it. He immediately spots a key in Nandlal's story. The fact that Nandlal called his daughter. This meant that there was a cell phone, and perhaps that cell phone could be traced. Vinod Pandey got on top of this. He sends out memos to all telecom companies telling them to highlight this Nokia phone, that is Pyle's phone, if it shows up on their radar. Each phone has an IMEI number. Yes, even the one on which you're listening to this podcast. Now, an IMEI number is this unique number that is on all phones that is used for international identification and can also be used for tracing these devices. That is the number Officer Pandey emailed to all telecom companies to spot on their servers. Meanwhile, Vinod Pandey saw some credence in Nandlal's narration about Munindar. He is the first cop to take this case seriously, to take the parents seriously, and to give some justice to the victims. He calls Pandey for interrogation, but Pandey denies any knowledge of Pyle. Moreover, on May 7th, when Pyle disappeared, Pandey claims he was in Chandigarh to attend his father's funeral. Officer Pandey double-checks this. He checks Pandey's mobile location, which in fact was in Chandigarh on May 7th. He also checked whether his father passed away and whether he was at that funeral, and his sources told him that that was true too. All these things, coupled with the fact that Pandey was a reputable businessman, should have cleared him off the suspect list. But Officer Pandey kept interrogating until Munindar Pandey finally broke. He accepted knowing Pyle. Pyle used to work at house number D5. Wait, what do you mean by work? If she was regularly going to clean his houses and wash his clothes and wash the dishes, 
I'm sure there were more people that knew about it. What is this work that sort of nobody knew about but the dad knew and Pandey was trying to deny all the time? This wasn't any regular work. She was a call girl, a prostitute, a sex worker. Pandey used to pay her 25,000 rupees for attending to him twice every month. So now officer Pandey knows Pandey was lying. but he still couldn't do anything because pandey was not physically in that location and this was double checked so on one hand pandey lied about knowing pile but on the other hand he wasn't in noida in the week of disappearance although this rings alarm bells it still doesn't answer anything while these interrogations were happening officer pandey received an email from airtel Airtel is one of India's biggest telecom SIM providers especially back in 2006. The email said that this phone pinged on their radar as it was reactivated. So Pyle's phone actually was reactivated by someone months after it was disappeared. So hold on, I just want to clear this up for our listeners and for myself. Pyle's phone was switched off sometime after she went missing. and now after months of pile being missing this phone is suddenly reactivated again and when this is reactivated airtel finds it somewhere on their radar is that right that is exactly it yeah all right this is the moment they had all been looking for they rushed to the location where the phone was located it was with a rickshaw wala and it had passed through six other people in this process pandey however had a knowledge of phones and technology and was as gizmo a freak you could be in 2006 and picked up small details that completely blew me away while researching for this case something not every cop could do pandey notices that the phone this rickshaw wala has has been ringing even though pile's original number had been deactivated for few months now this meant that when this rickshaw wala found this phone it came with a sim in it This sim belonged to someone else, not Pyle. This sim perhaps held the key to finding what the hell is happening. Every sim card has a 15-digit sim number behind it, much like the IMEI number which I was talking about. Okay, Aran, hold on. I want to clear something up. So, Officer Pandey finds with this rickshaw wala Pyle's phone, the phone that Pyle had on her the day she went missing, but inside this phone Pile SIM card is not there there's a completely new SIM card right correct new SIM card with a new number and behind this new SIM card there's a 15 digit SIM number unique to this SIM card that now officer pandey will use to find out who this new SIM card belongs to right yeah you guess what officer pandey was about to do i know i have thrown these technical terms at you but these are what helped move this case along so bear with me vinod pandey again email the sim number this 15 digit unique number to all telecom companies and told them to send its details regarding the registration ownership and address of the sim number he wrote this email on december 21st 2006 and he got a response on december 26th 2006 to pandey it was his christmas gift This nonchalant, extremely short email blew this case open. We have uploaded screenshots of this email on our Instagram and Twitter at Desi Crime. This email had everything the cops and the people of Nithari, as well as the parents of the victims, 
had been looking for. The email had the name of the person who owned the SIM card and the address where that person lived. The email said, Surinder Kohli, Village Nithari, Sector 31, Noida. Come back to part two of Kill, Cut, Eat to find out what happened to those 20 children, how this investigation unfolded, and a first-hand account of Pinky's employee. Till then, stay safe, stay brown. Thank you.